the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Welcome in to the most gorgeous day in Pittsburgh. Now, it's just started to cloud up. I'm sitting here atop Seven Parkway Center, and it looks like the cloud cover has kind of come over, like from come down from the north. But when I came in here at 2 o'clock, it was the most spectacular sunshine, and I thought, who settled here? I mean, two days ago, we had snow, we had ice, we had like cataclysmic wind, we had rain, then we went from like 12 degrees to 62 degrees, and this is what it is to live in Pittsburgh. You can never put Christy Stockdale, your clothes away from the previous season. You cannot. You just never know when you're going to need them. You have to keep always a remnant. You know what I mean? Like I you think, okay, it's, it's time to put like my biggest sweaters away, but you have to keep a couple. You do. You always, and my flip-flops are always within easy reach. No matter what. I don't care if it's super cold. I don't care if I haven't seen sun in two weeks. The flip-flops are ready for just the day like today is. That's how I feel. I'm talking to Christy Stockdale. She's on the other side of the glass producing the ride home today. We're on our own because John Hall taking another day off. But do we have a terrific show today? And I am much more awake. Yesterday, I could not get my head above water. I mean, you miss one hour on between Saturday and Sunday. And I felt like I was run over by a truck. Fell asleep watching TV again, like I told you I wouldn't do, but I did. But once I got up to bed, I had a very good night's sleep. I woke up feeling completely energized. I feel like the whole like time adjustment, I'm over it. Christy? I was up at 5 a.m. Why? I, I don't know why. Did you stay up? Yes. <gasps> I've been up since 5. What? I am exhausted. <laughs> it's time for a nap. I have no idea why I was up. Wow. Okay. It's not like I should have been up. Okay. So that means tonight you're going to have to go to bed at like eight o'clock. Yeah. Will you do that? No. See, you're going to stay up like me and you're going to fall asleep watching Severance or something. <laughs> Probably. It's sick. Anyway, before we do anything else, please. Christy, would you please pull up the music for the top four at four? For Tuesday, March 15th. No, 15th. 2022. It's my best friend's birthday. It's happy birthday to Heather Day. Happy birthday, Heather. Heather, oh my gosh, you're one of my favorite people. Now, I haven't met Heather, but this is why I love Heather so much, because she is your good and kind, benevolent landlord. She is. <gasps> Heather, thanks for being such a good landlord for Christy. The best. And she tolerates you and all of your she does. idiosyncrasies. She does. Yelling at the TV during Penguin Games. Your dog is friends with her dog. Yeah, they're best friends. They have best friend callers. Oh, I love that. Heather, I hope you have a terrific birthday. 
Number one, an unbelievable, truly amazing story in today's Wall Street Journal about the hostage situation currently underway at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine, where 210 technicians and support staff are in a desperate situation, held captive while keeping watch over thousands of spent fuel rods. This is the craziest story. Russian soldiers have been holding them, these 210 people, holding them on the job at gunpoint since the first hours of the war. Get this. Since February 23rd, Chernobyl's technicians and support staff have been working nonstop. After arriving at 9 p.m. for a single night shift to monitor electrical transmission levels and the temperature inside the plant's, like, enormous building that houses the radioactive waste, they are approaching 500 hours on the job. They're sleeping on chairs in front of beeping machinery. They're sleeping on piles of clothes next to their workstations. All the while, Russian soldiers are holding guns to their heads. Their diet has dwindled to porridge and canned food prepared by a 70-year-old cook who at one point collapsed from exhaustion. Their phones have been confiscated. They're trailed by Russian soldiers through the nuclear plant's labyrinth of reinforced concrete corridors. I mean, it goes on and on. I just encourage you, if you possibly can, to get onto the Wall Street Journal site and read this. However, let me close by saying staff members are now fomenting some minor, major, I'm not sure what it's going to turn into, a type of rebellion because they're arguing, according to the journal, with their captives, their captors over the nature of Russia's war and staging acts of defiance. Every morning at 9 a.m., the national anthem, Ukraine has not yet perished, blares through the loudspeaker. The Ukrainian workers stand, palms pressed to their chests, and then return to work. Number two. Perhaps by now you've seen a video of a protester who stormed the set of a Russian evening TV live broadcast with a sign in English reading, No War. The woman, Marina Ovsayanikova, sorry, I had to take a minute to figure out how to pronounce that, was an employee of the state-owned Channel One network in Moscow and was later detained and taken into custody. Her sign also included other messages in Russian reading, Don't believe the propaganda and you are being lied to. A pre-recorded video after she did this from her was published where she said that what is happening in Ukraine is a crime. She said Russia, quote, is the aggressor. The responsibility for this lies on the conscience of only one person, and this person is Vladimir Putin. My father is Ukrainian, my mother is Russian, and they were never enemies. It's from USA Today. Number three. The Ever Given, a massive cargo ship, captured imaginations around the world when it blocked the Suez Canal. You remember it for nearly a week back in 2021. Well, this year there's a new ship making headlines for blocking another channel, and it works for the same company. The Ever Forward is now stuck in Craig Hill Channel of the Chesapeake Bay. They're having a rough, like, 12-month period there at the company. Uh, the Coast Guard and Maryland Development of Environment are trying to move the 1,095-foot container vessel, which ran aground about 9 p.m. on Sunday, according to CBS Baltimore. And number four, the Dollar Bank Three Rivers Arts Festival is exiting Point State Park and moving permanently to Pittsburgh's Cultural District. I don't know what I think about that. 
The Cultural Trust announced that because of new usage rules and regulations for the park issued by the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and National Resources, natural and national resources, the site is no longer available for the annual 10-day celebration of the arts. So it'll still remain free to visitors. It'll still have music. It'll still have sellers, food vendors, all of that. But it's only going to happen in the cultural district. And that's your top four at four. What do you think about that, Christy? I'm not sure how I feel about that. Have you gone to the arts festival regularly? No, I haven't. It's been a while. Okay. But you've been there. Yeah. So you knew what it was like set up at the point. Yeah. So you walk around like the bottom triangle and you get all your food and then maybe you go to the main stage. Maybe you go out and wander at the I mean, it's really fun. It is. I don't know why they'd move it. Well, because apparently the um, conservation people say that we're harming the point. Oh. So we're all going to, you know tramp around like Ninth Street and go in and out of it just doesn't seem like there's enough room there to have like a really effective art. Anyway. It's gonna be congested. We'll bring someone down the air to talk about the particulars. All right. It's time for me to take a break. Up next, um, look up how paying attention to nature could help you read your Bible and even know God better. Hannah Anderson, she's in the on deck circle. Stay with us, Monday edition. Ride home. No, it's Tuesday, isn't it? It's Tuesday. W-O-R-D. You're listening now, so we know you're a fan of the radio station. I am a big fan. And we want you to know that we appreciate you. I am your number one fan. That's why we've developed the Word FM Fan Club. It's free to join, and once you do, you can take part in exclusive surveys and contests. Yeah, I love contests. Special offers. Great giveaways. Discounts. Freebies. I'd like to win one of these contests. Become a member today. Go to wordfm.com slash fan club and sign up. We're big fans. Why doing it right? Roofing, siding, remodeling? It's simple. It's in their name. Doing it right uses only top quality materials and employs only experienced installation and management people to install and oversee your project. Family owned and operated for 38 years and with over 45 years of industry experience, you can be confident that your project will be installed the correct way. Doing It Right does business honestly, taking no money down and collecting balance upon completion. You'll receive a lifetime labor warranty from Doing It Right. Doing It Right does all work to Manufacturers, National Roofing Contractors Association, and Vinyl Siding Institute guidelines and specifications for a complete and headache-free installation. Doing It Right is an Owens Corning Platinum Contractor and James Hardy Preferred Contractor. Most importantly, they're affordable, offering great financing options and accepting all major credit cards. Be sure to mention John and Kathy for a discount off your roofing, siding, and remodeling estimates. Call 724-NEW-ROOF or find them at roofingcontractorpittsburgh.com. In the Bible, Jesus says when we care for the least of these, it's like we're caring for Him. But who are the least of these? They're moms, like Myrna from Guatemala, who fights every day just to keep her children fed. Right now, they are hungry. They want food, and we don't have money enough to get to that whole week. COVID-19 has left the world's poorest families on the brink of starvation. Throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, the basics of food and access to clean water are a daily struggle. I only get food when other people give me food. When you partner with Food for the Poor, you answer the desperate prayers of moms and kids. Your gift of $175 will provide food for a year and water for life for two suffering children. Just pennies a day gives food and water, hope and life. Please, give life now. 
Call 855-828-4673, 855-828-4673, or click the red Give Life banner at wordfm.com. A message from the American Migraine Foundation. It's an absolute nightmare. There's pain that does not stop. I feel trapped by migraine. Migraine is a disabling disease. I feel like I'm dying. You feel like the world's closing in on you. There's nothing you can do. It's like you're trapped in your head. There's no escaping it. You can't leave your body. Don't suffer alone. Make your move against migraine. Visit AmericanMigraineFoundation.org to find help, learn more, and get connected. I don't know what your job is like. I'm not sure if you have the kind of job where you, you know, get up and walk outside. Um, maybe you are visiting clients. Maybe you're a visiting nurse. Maybe you're something that allows you to drive, um, be on public transportation. Basically, what I'm saying is be outside. The kind of job I have requires that I spend a ton of time reading. And most of that reading happens on a screen. So whether it's my phone or it's my iPad or it's my computer at home or whatever it is, I'm constantly reading and looking at stuff. And I notice over time, especially in the winter months here in Pittsburgh, that I just get very little contact with the outside world. And so I wonder... With a lot of the issues that come up and a lot of mental health crises that we're having now post-COVID, if they're exacerbated, not just because of COVID and the anxieties of that, but also because we have become even more enmeshed and dependent on our screens and outside the natural world than even we were before. Well, to talk about that, I've invited Hannah Anderson back on the program. She's the author of Made for More, All That's Good, and Humble Roots, How Humility Grounds and Nourishes Your Soul. Hannah, welcome back. Good to be with you, Kathy. So I would assume, being a writer as you are, that you spend a lot of time looking at screens, too. I do. I heard you describing your average week, and I thought, is she reading my mail? (laughs) (laughs) Because when you do certain types of work, um, as I do with writing, you spend a lot of time reading, and a lot of that time is on screens. We just we live in a digital world. There's no getting away from that. Um, But I've also found very much to your point that you can get sucked into that world, and you can not only exist within the screen, but within your own house. And this is a moment where we have to be really intentional to force ourselves outside. Mm-hmm. Um, it occurred to me once that I could leave my garage, get in my car, drive somewhere, get out, walk a few steps, go into the building, stay there all day, and repeat that process and come home and be outside in the natural world all of maybe 10 minutes in a given day. Um, and I that's not necessarily a problem, but it does create some challenges. And I think one of the things that we have to remember is that the natural world was given to us to um, learn from and to connect with God within. And so I have asked myself, what happens when we don't do that? What, what might happen if we have become detached from the creation that he made? So it's not just a matter, Hannah, of not getting enough vitamin D. Um, or, you know, not, you know, having eye issues, which I had in COVID because I wasn't focusing on anything, you know, beyond four feet Mm -hmm. from my face, um, or whatever it is. It's not just physiological, but you're saying that it's just, it's like a reality check for us. It is. 
It is because we have learned how to exist in sometimes these kind of man-made spaces or these manufactured spaces, which God has given us the wisdom to create. And I am grateful for the digital age. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's something that we could potentially miss about paying attention to the world that God has made. Um, And one of the calls of Scripture is exactly that call, to consider the lilies, um, to pay attention to what the heavens are telling us. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And so as I've kind of thought through this and processed this, I, I actually wrote a book that came out this time last year called Turning of Days, Lessons from Nature, Season, and Spirit. And it was just my process of trying to get back in tune with the creation, trying to learn from it what the scripture says it is teaching me about who God is, about his faithfulness, about the patterns and the rhythms um, that he has built into the created world that we have, you know, quite frankly, there, there's a likelihood that we might miss if we have our heads down in front of our screens all day. Okay, great. So um, I didn't know that you had produced that book. I'm just looking it up right now on uh online and i see it and i love the fact that there's a turtle or is that a tortoise on the front yeah <laughs> yes, it's a tortoise tortoise i'm okay. sorry it's a tortoise see at least i know enough to know that i don't know anything um so so when you started contemplating this hannah what caused you to do it was it the fact that you were already i mean this was this was published like right during covid it looks mm-hmm. like so was it the covid thing that kind of caused you to think in these ways Well, I think it was similar um, anxieties that I was feeling as to what you described, where a lot of my time and attention was being, um, was happening in the digital space. And that worsened during COVID. That's when we were all on Zoom meetings, when our kids were home. And so it's almost as if that what was already happening just got amplified because everything was going digital, even church was going digital. And during that process, we were all stuck at home, too. And so there was this really rare opportunity. I wrote this at the beginning of 2020, like from March to June is Mm. when I was writing, right at the beginning when we were all stuck at home because we didn't know what was happening. And I realized that even though we were stuck at home, we still had our backyard. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of us, there was this opportunity to rediscover places that maybe we rushed past or the small bits of nature and creation that were close to us that we just weren't paying attention to. So what this book became was more of a call to observe. Um, it wasn't a call to become, you know, to sell your your house and go out and live in a farm somewhere. It wasn't anything like that. It was a call to pay attention to what is around you and see what God is doing in the natural world close to you. Wow. I love this idea. Hannah Anderson is with me talking about her new book called Turning of Days, Lessons from Nature, Season, and Spirit. Um, just yesterday on uh, the show, Hannah, I had Jennifer Grant on, and she wrote a book called Dimming the Day. And it's a book uh, written for people who have a hard time sleeping. And mm. it's particularly about their meditations on the natural world to help you get out of your anxiety space and get into a restful space so that you can, you know, welcome sleep into your life. And I see a big link in what she's thinking about and what you've written about, Hannah, um, because both of you are kind of looking at the at the world we live in 
and the natural world, and you're both saying in agreement, we've become really distant from the natural stuff. And there has to be a price we pay for that, right? I mean, it's not like Mm -hmm. we can keep on going those 10-minute segments you talked about where, you know, I can basically be outside for 10 minutes in a day and that be enough. Absolutely. And one of the ways that this is really easily seen is the fact that we live our lives based on electricity. So in the past, just, you know, we would have had more connection to the natural change of light and darkness. And even when we would have long winter nights, that would be an invitation to more rest. And we would all shut down um, perhaps a little earlier, sleep a little longer through the winter, and our bodies would be set to the, the light. Well, you introduce electricity, which makes us much more productive, but it also throws off our connection with natural light. And and that has ramifications, and we do have to pay attention to um, that kind of artificial space. Again, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's just something to pay attention to and to recognize the degree to which our rhythms and habits might be out of alignment with the world that God has made. Mm -hmm. And you feel like um, your experience, Hannah, was that the more you disciplined yourself to focus, or maybe did you discipline yourself to focus on the outside world, or was it more just uh, you were kind of like opening yourself up to notice what was already there? It was to observe, to to be out, to have time, um, not long, but to have time outside that I gave myself to pay attention and to observe. And so it wasn't opening up, but it wasn't with an agenda. It was just, I'm going to go out, I'm going to see what I can see. And toward the end of uh, Turning of Days, I actually wrote an essay with 10 tips of how to enter into this kind of life, kind of learning to listen and pay attention to the world that God has made. And how would you shift from perhaps a lifestyle of not paying attention to one where you're trying to, in Jesus' words, consider the lilies or to pay attention to what the creation is saying about who God is? Could you share some of those tips with us? Absolutely. (laughs) The first tip we've already talked about, which is just get outside. (laughs) Find some way to spend some time. Um, And and it probably will be a little more disruptive than you imagine. You'll probably have to be intentional um, about it. And then another tip is once you're outside, give yourself um, space to be in the same place at different times of the day or at different seasons of the year. And this is why our backyards are wonderful. If you just limit yourself to your backyard, Um, you're going to be able to observe the changes in that one space over the cycles of the year. Um, See what different things are going on, see what's growing at a certain time, what has died back. Um, So it is helpful to kind of limit yourself within a certain space. You don't need to take this all on all at once. So it's get outside, um, you know, pick a place that's going to be your place that you're going to return to different seasons, different times of the day, and then pay attention. Just pay attention to details. Some people find that journaling helps them pay attention to details. Other people who might be artists, um, my husband's an artist, and he actually illustrated um, the book with some of his sketches. Mm. But he finds that sketching or drawing forces him to pay attention to things that he would overlook 
if he didn't go outside with his sketchbook or his journal. So those are some ways that we can just begin to discipline ourselves to pay attention. Um, Get outside, find a place, commit to it, and then have some mechanism, whether it's journaling or maybe photography or sketching, to force yourself to engage with the details that you're seeing. And then what have you seen in you as the end result? Or the result in well, process, maybe. Yeah, um, it's definitely um, a settledness, a restfulness. Um, one of the things that happens when you begin to engage the natural world is you realize how much you don't control, how much is beyond mm. your control. Um, and I think that may be part of the reason why we're a little unsettled sometimes with growing out into the natural world, because it does remind us of what we are not able to control the weather, for example. We can write code for all kinds of programs. We can create magnificent cities, but at the end of the day, we can't control the weather. So there are these things that we come up against, and it humbles us. And if we let it, though, that can be very calming because we also know that we are entrusting ourselves to the one who does control the weather. So there is this kind of humbling effect, but that humbling effect also gives us a sense of rootedness and stability um, because it pushes us back to trust God and the one who who made all of these things. For someone who spends a lot of her life online, Hannah, I want to ask you in closing if your temptation is like mine, which is that when anxieties surface, I tend to, instead of going outside, instead of contact with the natural world, and instead of that, I tend to think that I will receive comfort in from in a digital form, you know, that maybe, maybe if I spend 30 more minutes on Twitter and read more, you know, you know, 30 more posts that I think are interesting, or maybe I watch that other show, I think that's what's going to make me feel more settled. And, and there's a reason you think that is because you are getting kind of a dopamine hit, mm-hmm. right? We, we are getting some kind of response from being online. The problem is it's not a satisfying or sustainable response. So mm-hmm. we will get a little bit of feedback that makes us feel good, just enough to carry us on till we need the next hit. And what we have to do is really interrupt that cycle and stop it from growing and accelerating until it can't be satisfied. And and one good way of stopping that is just stepping away, step away from the screen, get outside. And as we're moving into spring, we have a lot more opportunities um, as the weather begins to warm up, get out for a walk, um, you know, go out to your backyard, just sit, give yourself five, 10 minutes. I have a an acquaintance online who her Lenten practice is going to be to go out and look for a bird for 10 minutes every day um, to see what she could see um, of the birds and whatever bird God brings her that day is how she's put it. Um, But just find some way to break that cycle step outside, give yourselves five, 10 minutes to reconnect with the world that God has made. I love it. Hannah, what a great encouragement. It's such a beautiful week in Pittsburgh, I got to tell you, for that type of encouragement. We had a, a, day, a day when our, our high was 12 degrees. That was Saturday. And it's going mm-hmm. to be 70 on Thursday. So this is the time. Well, time to, to get out then. Exactly. Hannah, thanks so much for joining me today. Good to talk to you, Kathy. That's Hannah Anderson. Check out her new book. I'm excited about it. Turning of Days, Lessons from Nature, 
season and spirit. Hannah is also author of Humble Roots, How Humility Grounds and Nourishes Your Soul, which is another really great one. All right. Coming up next, studies show more Americans are reaching for junk food to combat their stress. Is that you? Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month. And that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch to the customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. This is Kathy Emmons. John and I are grateful for the encouragement we have from all of our advertisers, and especially our friends at Grove City College. Thanks to everyone at Grove City for supporting the ride home. Hi, I'm cute kid number one. And I'm cute kid number two. And we have been forced. You mean hired? We have been hired to tell you what direct lender FOMO is. So let's say you buy a new home and maybe you use one of those big mortgage monsters or someone your realtor or friend recommends. And then a few months later, you hear us being forced, hired, hired to tell you about our mortgage team's direct lender advantage. And then you feel like you missed out because you probably did miss out. And that is direct lender FOMO. It's Ryan and our mortgage team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This often allows us to get you a better rate on that new home mortgage, saving you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to Animalist Consumer Access. Dollar Corporate Animalist Number 1335. Rack Animalist Number 65233. Equal Housing Lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Your life. Your hopes. And whatever you were searching for at 1.15 a.m., it's really none of our business. And it shouldn't be anyone else's. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Ask Alexa to play the word Pittsburgh to hear us there. We're on your Google speaker too. Plus iHeart, TuneIn, and on Odyssey. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. Premature birth is the number one killer of babies. Those who survive often face birth defects and complications that affect them for life. For hundreds of thousands of families in the United States, this is the hardest thing they will ever have to face. And it's even harder on the baby. March of Dimes is providing education and support to families and funding life-saving research to give every baby a fighting chance. You can help. Do something today. Give them tomorrow at marchadimes.org slash tomorrow. Tonight we'll see a moonlit sky. Expect a nighttime low of 39. Tomorrow will be warmer. We'll see a blend of sunshine and clouds. The ground will still be wet and muddy from recent snowmelt. Expect a high tomorrow of 68. Turning cloudy tomorrow night with a low of 47. Some sunshine Thursday, then turning cloudy and warm. Thursday will reach a high of 65. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. So COVID's changed a lot of things. Obviously, we work differently. We go to school differently. 
we probably interact or don't interact with people um, in our family, but also people outside way differently. Um, what about our diet, though? I saw a news story today at WXYZ.com talking about a new study that's come out about the American diet. It reveals that 52% of Americans have been consuming more unhealthy snacks and desserts since the start of the pandemic, which is becoming a concern for health experts. Um, Addictive foods like sugar, junk food, starches, that's what people are kind of packing. Um, and of course, they're putting on weight as a result. Um, sugar, fat, sodium increases comorbid conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. I'm not listening. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. My question is this. <laughs> How bad is it for you? <laughs> because I think for most people, it's pretty bad. Now, let me sing the praises of John Hall, who's not here today, taking day off. John is the rare person who lost about 25 pounds over COVID. He went home and like got a grip on himself and he just like knocked it out of the park. So he looks way different, way better than he did before COVID and feels way different and way better than he did before COVID. Um, so Christy, I'll ask you any difference in your eating or whatever you were snacking on before or during COVID? Yep. So I actually lost, I don't know, 20, 30 pounds. Whoa. Yeah. How did, now why? Because I was at home. Because was, you were more tempted to eat at work? No, no, no. Because I had more time to work out. Because oh, I was at home. I could, you know, run downstairs, run on the treadmill on my lunch. Right. And I worked out. Interesting. So you didn't have to take the time to commute. Yeah. And you devoted that time to working out instead. It was an hour commute back and forth. Wow. So I gained two hours in my day. Wow. I know, which is really nice. Yeah. That is super nice. Okay. So you and John are the same. Yeah. Okay. Um, now I, before you knew me, before you came to work here at the station, I spent almost two years going without sugar. I gave it up, um, not for Lent. I actually started on Easter, uh, 2018. Um, and I went almost two years without sugar because I just felt like it had become too important to me. Um, and then, so I, I felt good about that. I was really fine without it, though I never stopped missing it. <laughs> so tough. It was it was really, really tough. Um, but once COVID started, I kind of let that go because I had more time to exercise. And so I was able to keep my weight the same while adding on some sugar. The offset. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're not working out to be healthy. You're just working out to pay for what you ate last night. Yep. Yeah. So now it's been like, what, two years since COVID started. And I feel like my biggest problem is eating late at night. It's tough. And the reason why it's like, we work hard all day is where, where's the reward people? That's right. You know what I mean? That's kind of, so last night I had a good dinner and then uh, at around 1030, I made toast, which is my favorite snack. I made pumpernickel toast. I had delicious jam on it. And then I finished that and I was like, wow, that was a really, really good snack. And then a half hour later, I was eating chocolate covered pretzels. See, that's the problem. That's what it is. Anyway, so some people snack more in the afternoon. Some people like go crazy when they get up in the morning. Like I have friends that like they get up in the morning and all they want to eat are cookies. I don't have any of that. But listen, whatever's happening to me after 1030 at night has got to stop. Anyway, coming up next, Sleep Awareness Week. No, we're going to talk about a Christian case for abortion. Is there a Christian case 
for being pro-abortion or just anti? We'll talk about it next. 101.5 WORD. Okay, everybody in the car. Where are we going, Daddy? On an adventure. Yay! Adventures in Odyssey. It's not just a kid's show. It's a show the whole family can enjoy. Listen on this station. Adventures in Odyssey, tonight at 8 on 101.5 Word FM, W-O-R-D. It's that time of the year at the Springhouse in 84. It's Dairy Farm Tour time. That's right. We actually invite classes of school children to our real working dairy farm. The children love feeding the calf, milking the cow, and even seeing where the cows sleep and smelling what they eat. Many children today have never even touched a baby calf, nor have they associated the wonderful cow as the source of the milk that they get from the grocery store. At the Springhouse in 84, we are so committed to teaching children about farming and helping them understand how much the city mouse and the country mouse truly need each other. Call 228-3339 or have your child's teacher set up a date for your child's classroom farm tour and let us share a little of our farm with you at the Springhouse in 84. Before I came to RPTS, I was a church planter and pastor for 22 years, and I found a lot of confusion about what really constitutes a church. Dr. Barry York, president of RPTS. We want, first and foremost, our ministers to know what a church is and what the church really needs, so how to develop the preaching ministry, why we practice the sacraments, how to properly care for God's people, and that you exercise proper oversight of them. The church needs servants like you. Are you ready? Visit rpts.edu. Whose rule book do you want to play by? The government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rule book and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy and Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon. For details and to attend, visit a-h.law. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Oh, that new doctor is dropped it gorgeous. Oh, please, he's just another RV League educated surgeon with good hair. No, he's different. Nurses, we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror. Meet me in the OR. Stat. Right away, doctor. No, 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 she's on break. I'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little... When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. When abortion is discussed in the media, usually comes down in two ways. The religious people are anti-abortion, and the people who have a more secular outlook on life are, are pro-abortion. But I've noticed something that's been happening. Um, I've noticed it maybe over the last six months, maybe, I don't know, maybe the last year or two with COVID, you know how time gets screwed up, um, that there's a, a rising, um, and it's not a large group of people, but it is a rising group of people um, in volume who claim a deep spirituality, even a Christian faith. And call abortion something like a sacrament. 
Um, and so to them, they're trying to kind of pull the abortion issue back onto their side, um, frustrated that people who call themselves Christians, maybe in the evangelical side, maybe in the Catholic side or the Orthodox side, have for so long in their mind co-opted the issue and said, well, look, if you're spiritual or religious, then you have to be against abortion. Well, to talk about this new development, Shane Morris is back with me, senior writer at the Colson Center and host of the Upstream podcast, as well as co-host of the Breakpoint podcast. Shane, welcome back. Glad you're here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Kathy. So you've been observing the same thing I've been observing, um, different opinion pieces coming up that people don't want to continue to keep anti-abortion um, and religion together. They want to say, no, you can be a person of faith and be you know, happy about your abortion. Yeah, this is a kind of movement that's been developing for a number of years. If you drive through the downtowns of many older cities, you'll see these historic churches that have long ago gone in a very liberal direction. They're kind of the mainline Protestant bodies, and many of them are, are fairly empty on Sunday mornings. They don't have a lot of members, um, but they have moved in an extremely liberal direction. And you'll see, you know, gay pride flags and things like that out front of the church. And if you listen to a sermon, a lot of times you'll hear a message that's very centered on social justice as understood from a progressive political viewpoint, something that would you know approximate the platform of the Democratic Party. Um, and this is one of those planks, the pro-choice idea, the idea that abortion is not only uh, something that should be legal, but is actually a positive social good and even a cause of righteousness that people who identify as Christians should get behind. And there was a, uh, over the years, we've seen this in a number of ways. We've seen prayer services and vigils outside of abortion clinics, sort of blessing them. Mm -hmm. Um, We've covered that on Breakpoint. And recently, just last month uh, in the Washington Post, they ran a piece by Michelle Borstein, sort of chronicling what she sees as the the current state, uh, an intensification of this religious, spiritual, pro-choice movement. And she profiled one pastor from Maryland in particular, um, a female pastor who has gotten two abortions and has been outspoken on this particular issue. But it, the, the evidence she marshals is to someone who has been to the March for Life, for instance, or any other pro-life rally, not that numerically impressive. Sure. You know, this, right. the, the pro-choice religious movement is not huge, yeah. but it's there. Yeah, it is. It is significant. And I read that Michelle Borstein piece. I remember when it came out um, and it made me think that maybe the conversation has to that we're having has to change a little bit. Um, OK, so let's take the historical tack, though. Um, if we go back and look at the history of the church, we've got 2000 years of mm-hmm. conversations about social issues. What did early church fathers, what have people, Christians throughout history, thought about this issue? And was it always anti-abortion thought and practice on the kind of pro-spiritual side? Mm, That's a great question, Kathy, because one of the claims that the modern religious pro-choice movement will make is that, you see, pro-lifers have really hijacked Christianity to be a pro-life or anti-abortion religion. And you can test the legitimacy of that claim by going back, like you said, in history. And it turns out that um, not only has Christianity been pro-life for the vast majority of its history as a faith, but it's been uh, explicit to a degree that 
that really stands out among moral issues. And so if you go back to some of the earliest writings um, from the Christian church outside of the New Testament, so the Didache is one document. We don't know who the author was, but it's kind of universally cited and revered. Uh, It's also called the teaching of the 12 apostles and claims that is kind of its origin. But one of the precepts that the Didache lays down is that you shall not perform an abortion or kill a child after it's born. Uh, And that's important because in the Greco-Roman world, it, uh, infanticide and exposure were features of life as well as abortion. Um, then we, we get all kinds of documents after that, writers and documents. So the epistle to Barnabas or of Barnabas rather condemns abortion in very similar terms. Um, the, the fifth century pastor Chrysostom, uh, it condemned it in extremely strong terms as murder. Tertullian, actually, interestingly, another church father, he goes and describes some of the instruments and methods that are used for abortion in his day. And they're strikingly similar uh, to what we see in a Planned Parenthood today, what we would see in a modern procedure. This sort of thing has been going on for a long time, and Christians have been universally and historically opposed to it until very recently. And so the, the claim that there's some sort of um, debate historically among Christians on whether killing a child in the womb is okay, mm-hmm. it, it's really settled. There's no debate to be had. Yeah. It's hard to... <laughs> I think it's hard to talk about this issue sometimes in our current space because um, I think a younger generation of people um, have really taken – this is one of the things that I – you know, as you – you know, I'm in my 50s now. And when I look at younger generations of people, I see how different movements change and evolve. And one of the things I appreciate in seeing the lives of my kids is that overall, and we can all see this in the society around us, there is a concern for kindness, for justice, for equality in the world. And I appreciate that very much. Um, and because in large part that has risen on the left side of the political spectrum, when you see people who are on the right side of political spectrum talking about abortion, they they tend to be put at odds that there are justice issues on one side. In fact, I had somebody say this to me once. We were talking about voting, and uh, this person said to me, "Well, I, you know, I'm I I vote Democrat because I vote on justice issues." Now, I know that that person is anti-abortion, right? So I said to her, you don't think abortion is a justice issue? I mean, it is the ultimate to me. It's the ultimate justice issue. But it's weird how the political spectrum has kind of split us in this regard, that we tend to think of justice issues on the left side of the spectrum and abortion on the right. Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll point you to a great piece by Thaddeus Williams, who I just had on the Upstream podcast. And this was at World, actually. So World News Group in the opinion section. And he's the author of uh, a book about social justice, and um, it, it's called Advanced um, – I'm trying to remember the, the title. It's about social justice, and, and he'll get on to me for not being able to remember the exact title. But he, uh, you know, he, he lists a number of key justice issues that the left, although it claims the, the mantle of kind of the party of justice or the group that's concerned with justice against the right – um, either overlooks or is on completely the wrong side of, of history, as, as it's often put. Uh, abortion is one of those. The, um, the, the commodi- commodification of women in surrogacy is another one. Um, the kind of railroading of kids into transgender ideology before they understand what's going on or can even give informed consent is another one. Um, the an issue after issue after issue that's kind of culturally unpopular 
it seems that progressives who pride themselves on being advocates of justice are willing to turn a blind eye. Um, and he gives a, a just a great series of issues there. I can't commend the article enough. And it makes you think it's something that might be useful to send to a young person, perhaps um, someone my age or younger, who feels that they should vote their conscience and vote justice, um, but is only considering a narrow set sure. of issues. Sure. Yeah. And that's a good recommendation, isn't it, Shane, for all of us, is that justice issues are what we're called to as Christians, and it really shouldn't matter what party we're talking about. We should really be looking to reflect Jesus as much as we possibly can, regardless of party affiliation. We need to follow him first. We're talking to Shane Morris, senior writer at the Colson Center, host of the Upstream podcast, as well as co-host of the Breakpoint podcast. He's been a voice of the Colson Center since 2010. Um, So, Shane, we only have a minute or so left. So when you hear conversations about abortion right now, I mentioned one that I'd had recently um, about, you know, is not my friend not seeing abortion as a quote unquote justice issue. What do you hear? What you know, what kind of conversations are percolating in your spheres? I think when I talk with someone who's pro-choice, there is an attitude of uh, a value for bodily autonomy Mm. for women. Um, And you hear this, you hear this kind of argument that you have to choose. There's a zero sum game between the life of the baby and the life of the mother and modern abortion advocates are less interested in dehumanizing or devaluing the life of the child or even the human identity of the child than they are in pitting the life of the mother against the life of the child. And I found when you delve into that, Kathy, that what you, what you uh, meet is not a, you know, it's not a consideration for those rare instances where the life of the mother is actually threatened by continuing a pregnancy. Um, that's only a tiny, tiny fraction of a percentage of the cases. We're talking about the uh, the career trajectory, mm-hmm. the dreams, yeah. and the uh, self-actualization of the mother. And that's that's often what you run up against. And yeah. that's a different set of, you know, values. But those are what I hear when yeah. I talk to people. No, that's good. That's good. I appreciate that, Shane. I wish we had more time to talk about it. I, I would say that that I think you brought up what you said is a, is an astute observation that people are trying to divide and pit the mother and child against one another. What's interesting right. is when you talk to someone who's had a child, only those people can really tell you what that bond is like. And so it makes it just downright silly, actually, to me to try to separate them. Um, it really is. Anyway, Shane, I wish we could, like I said, delve into it more. But our time's up. Shane, thanks for being with me today. It was a pleasure. Okay. That's Shane Morris. Check out all his work at the Colson Center. All right. Coming up next, it's Sleep Awareness Week. Healthy sleep, as they say, starts before you hit the sheets. It's next. Right home. Thanks, Shane. I'm cute kid number one. And I'm cute kid number two. And we have been forced. You mean hired? We have been hired. To tell you what direct lender FOMO is. So let's say you buy a new home. Let's go! And maybe you use one of those big mortgage monsters. Or someone your realtor or friend recommends. And then a few months later, you hear us being forced. Hired. Hired. To tell you about our mortgage team's direct lender advantage. And then you feel like you missed out. Because you probably didn't miss out. And that is direct lender FOMO. And that's a wrap. It's Ryan, and our mortgage team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. For you, this often allows us to get you a better rate on that new home mortgage 
saving you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. MLS number 1330. Department of Banking. Mortgage Lender License number 22672. When it's time to replace your roof, siding, gutters, and downspouts, entry doors, and of course windows, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwall. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for all your exterior home projects. Why pay double with some other companies? Windows R Us will always give you the best price on the best in-class products, backed by the best warranties in the industry, all with zero sales pressure. And speaking of zero, right now get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products. Lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at windowsarustpittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. windowsarustpittsburgh.com. We've all been thinking a lot lately about the air we breathe. QDOT has been thinking about it for over 100 years, providing big HVAC solutions for the commercial industry, including healthcare, where air quality is paramount. Does your home deserve any less? For affordable solutions, including their new bipolar ionizer, which may eliminate up to 99.4% of airborne viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, breathe easier with QDOT. Call 412-366-6200 or visit q-dot.com. Hello, Word FM listeners. I'm Andrew Pawaski, General Sales Manager at Salem Media here in Pittsburgh. Looking to upgrade your career? Increase your annual earnings? At Salem Media, we sell advertising campaigns to local business owners using our radio stations and Salem Surround assets featuring over 50 social media and digital products. If you have more than two years of successful outside sales experience, proficient computer skills, and a drive to be the best, please go to salem.cc and look for Pittsburgh under the careers tab. Salem Media Pittsburgh is an equal opportunity employer. Sleep Awareness Week 2022 is going on. And um, I've been reading a lot about sleep from the National Sleep Foundation in particular over the last couple of days because I feel like my sleep is just wacky. And I'd, it's not that I sleep badly. I just don't sleep for any long stretches of time, which has been the case ever since I had babies because babies don't sleep for long stretches. And so I just learned at that point not to sleep for long stretches. And so I've never been able to go back. Um, anyway, so the National Sleep Foundation puts out, uh, has put out an article each day this week talking about different ways that you can improve your sleep. And in an earlier segment this hour, I was talking about my unfortunate habit, but one, I, I, I like it so much. I don't want to get rid of it is the happy snack at night thing that I do <laughs> pretty much seven days a week, uh, is where I am with that. So, um, but reading uh, today's commentary from the National Sleep Foundation said that a bedtime routine carried out each night can teach your body it's time to go to sleep. So I am doing that by having my snack, by having my sugary snack late at night is teaching my body it's time to go to sleep. So I feel kind of okay about that. Um, but it does make a big deal about trying to eat a light dinner two to three hours before bedtime so your food can be fully digested. Now listen to me. <laughs> I could cut out the sugar. I could do all sorts of things, but there is no way that that is ever going to happen. I'm just never going to eat my dinner two or three hours before bedtime. It's just not going to happen. And I don't feel like that's, 
I know that my job is unusual. Christy, yours is as well, because we work so late and I usually don't get home until 7 p.m. And so then I have to change my clothes. And so I don't eat until eight. And then, you know, I'm not going to sleep at one in the morning. So there's no way to get those three hours in. Um, Christy, do you go to sleep feeling like, oh, my gosh, I feel sick. I wish I hadn't eaten late. No, I don't either. Does that mean that there's something like, should we be feeling badly about that? According to the article, maybe. Yeah, but. (sighs) Okay, it also says that you could employ smells to help calm your senses and reduce stress. So try diffusing essential oils. Have you done that? I've done that. I don't think it helped. Okay, do you do that at all in the rest of your life? Yeah, I do. Do you like that? Yeah, it's not bad. Does it make you feel healthy or is it just kind of a like a, it's comforting? It's comforting. So that's not fake essential oils? I, I use expensive ones. <gasps> oh, so that's the thing. So you have to use expensive ones. You can't use like the ones I buy at Target. Yeah, I'm not buying those. Okay. Maybe my sleep habits are about to change. Maybe. I'm keeping that sugary snack, but maybe I'll add an essential oil. All right. Coming up next in the five o'clock hour, my friend Joe Laconte. We're going to talk about Ukraine versus Russia and uh, the historical precedent there. So join us. Tuesday edition, right home. We are everywhere. On your radio at 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh at wordfm.com, the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew at Washington. Senate Republicans are raising concerns amid reports the U.S. is still engaging Russia on reviving the Iran nuclear deal. Senator Tom Cotton says Democrats can't seem to walk away from what he says is a deeply flawed agreement. They have to restart this deal, no matter how bad it is, just to stick it to Donald Trump. Um, And that they view this also as a matter of a partisan legacy. The Democratic Party has now become so deeply invested in its partnership with the Ayatollahs Uh, They can't walk away from the table, no matter how bad the terms are. Senator Cotton spoke with the Salem Radio Network on Monday. 49 of the 50 Senate Republicans released a statement warning they will not support the administration's nuclear deal with Iran on an ongoing basis. President Biden today signing a bill providing $13.6 billion in additional military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. This is SRN News. In the Bible, Jesus says when we care for the least of these, it's like we're caring for him. But who are the least of these? They're moms, like Myrna from Guatemala, who fights every day just to keep her children fed. Right now, they are hungry. They want food, and we don't have money enough to get to that whole week. COVID-19 has left the world's poorest families on the brink of starvation. Throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, the basics of food and access to clean water are a daily struggle. I only get food when other people give me food. When you partner with Food for the Poor, you answer the desperate prayers of moms and kids. Your gift of $175 will provide food for a year and water for life for two suffering children. Just pennies a day gives food and water, hope and life. Please, give life now. Call 855-828-4673, 855-828-4673, or click the red Give Life banner at wordfm.com. 
Hi, I'm Al Aberroa, founder of Knight Strategic Wealth. Inflation is picking up, markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. Nobody wants to run out of money in retirement. That's why I'm going to share something that your financial advisor doesn't want you to know. With our investment strategy, when the stock market goes up, you earn a market-linked return that locks in every year. And when the stock market goes down, your investments won't lose a dime. There are no unnecessary fees, and it works for your investments, money at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank. It's simple, it's safe, and that's why savvy investors work with us. Want to learn more? Text FREE to 833-898-0500, and we'll send our retirement readiness kit directly to your phone right now. If you want to help build a retirement portfolio that will go up with the market and never lose money, get our retirement readiness kit today and see how this strategy can help secure your future. Text FREE to 833-898-0500. Text FREE to 833-898-0500. Hi, I'm cute kid number one. And I'm cute kid number two. And we have been forced. You mean hired? We have been hired to tell you what direct lender FOMO is. So let's say you buy a new home and maybe you use one of those big mortgage monsters or someone your realtor or friend recommends. And then a few months later, you hear us being forced, hired, hired to tell you about our mortgage team's direct lender advantage. And then you feel like you missed out because you probably did miss out. And that is direct lender FOMO. It's Ryan and our mortgage team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This often allows us to get you a better rate on that new home mortgage, saving you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to Animalist Consumer Access. Dollar Corporate Animalist Number 1330. Rack Animalist Number 65233. Equal Housing Lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Tonight, we'll see a moonlit sky. Expect a nighttime low of 39. Tomorrow will be warmer. We'll see a blend of sunshine and clouds. The ground will still be wet and muddy from recent snowmelt. Expect a high tomorrow of 68. Turning cloudy tomorrow night with a low of 47. Some sunshine Thursday, then turning cloudy and warm. Thursday will reach a high of 65. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Welcome in. Kathy Emmons with you, Word FM Studios. John Hall taking a day off. Christy Stockdale joining me, producing The Ride Home today on the other side of the glass, as she does every other darn day. Um, we have a terrific hour ahead of us. My friend Joe Laconte in the On Deck Circle. We're going to be talking about Ukraine versus Russia. Um, the philosophical precedents that have brought us up to this point. And we're going to throw in some conversation about Tolkien and Lewis, which I always like to do when Joe's with me on the show. So stay with us for that. Um, but before we get into that portion of the show, I want to talk about um, the fact that there are a lot of things that I recognize that we're all sad about. There's lots of stuff to be angry about. There's a lot of things to disagree about. Um whether you're on social media, whether you're not on social media, whatever it is, whether you've got cable news on, you've got radio on, you're, you know, talking to your spouse or your neighbor, your kids or your parents, whatever it is. Um, however, I saw a story that really made me think that we all have a responsibility to reach higher, 
to be bigger, to show Jesus more than we are currently doing. Now, you say, well, I already knew that. Well, okay, maybe you did know that. But this story kind of, to me, brought it to the forefront. So listen to this. After two years of COVID, um, after mask fights, school online, stressed out parents, overtaxed teachers, a group of five-year-olds, five-year-olds, kindergartners, has taken on a project to what? To encourage people. Pep Talk is a free hotline that was set up by a group of students at Westside Elementary, a small school in the town of Heldsburg, California. Now, this project was put together with the help of two teachers, Jessica Martin and Asherah Weiss. Um, Jessica Martin teaches the arts program at the school. Asherah Weiss is the kindergarten teacher. And they asked their kids to do something because, this is why they did it, because the students themselves had been so encouraging to those two teachers, the teachers thought, wow, if people had more access to five-year-olds, and I'm not trying to be simplistic here, I'm being really serious here. If people had more access to five-year-olds, then they might see things a little differently. So let's hear about it from CBS Sunday Morning. Hi, welcome to Pep Talk, a public art project by Westside School. If you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, press one. Go get your wallet and spend it on ice cream and shoes. Whatever your worry, they've got a solution. If you need words of encouragement, press 2. Be grateful for yourself. Whatever your insecurity, they'll restore confidence. If you need a pep talk from kindergartners, press 3. You can do it! So I did this myself today. I called the phone number, which is 707-998-8410, and I got some encouragement from kindergartners. Now listen, this is what is so amazing about it. Two days after they launched the hotline on February 26th, they were getting 700 calls an hour. 700 calls an hour for five-year-olds to tell tell you to like get a cup of coffee and a new pair of shoes. I mean, listen, it's really cute. And again, I'm not trying to reduce the complexities of the world's problems into something that could fit in a five-year-old's head. But I've had kids myself. I spend a lot of time with little kids. And I will tell you that there is something very important about how they look at the world. And remember that Jesus said, if you don't become like that, if you don't become like them, then you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I think there's really something. Okay, so let's hear closing thoughts from one of their teachers. Christine? Adults support children, but we don't really celebrate how much they support us. Mm -hmm. And to be able to be comforted by them gives us great hope that maybe we're all going to be okay. Adults just don't comfort kids. Kids make a difference to adults. You can support the program's hotline fees. You can give them a call and get your own encouragement at 707-998-8410. But listen, I think the most important thing to me is to just let the kids inspire you. Because people all around us everywhere, at work, at home, at the grocery store, at the garage or whatever, they need to be encouraged. So I don't know. We should bring the kindness, the mercy the full-throated laughter of Jesus with us, always with us, because it's never been more needed than it is now. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Ukraine and Russia. What got us here? How can we understand it? It's coming up next on The Ride Home.
101.5 WORD. Everywhere you go, anywhere you go, Word FM goes with you. That's because we're no longer trapped inside a radio. We're now everywhere you are, and you carry us around in your pocket. We're ubiquitous. There's an app for that, right? On TuneIn, on iHeart, on our own app, on WordFM.com. The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. On your iPad, iPhone, and Android. We're always with you because we're inside your pocket. Whatever you do, don't lose us. 101.5 WORD. Why doing it right? Roofing, siding, remote modeling it's simple it's in their name doing it right uses only top quality materials and employs only experienced installation and management people to install and oversee your project family owned and operated for 38 years and with over 45 years of industry experience you can be confident that your project will be installed the correct way doing it right does business honestly taking no money down and collecting balance upon completion you will receive a lifetime labor warranty from doing it right doing it right does all work to manufacturers national roofing contractors Association and Vinyl Siding Institute guidelines and specifications for a complete and headache-free installation. Doing It Right is an Owens Corning Platinum Contractor and James Hardy Preferred Contractor. Most importantly, they're affordable, offering great financing options and accepting all major credit cards. Be sure to mention John and Kathy for a discount off your roofing, siding, and remodeling estimates. Call 724-NEW-ROOF or find them at roofingcontractorpittsburgh.com. McQueen Building Company. It's about our people, but it's what others say about us that we really want you to hear. It was a pleasure working with McQueen. Everything we agreed on in the contract was done and done to my satisfaction. I'll certainly have them for any future projects and have recommended them to friends. Jeff works hard, is committed to success, and willing to go above and beyond in his zeal for the best outcome. I highly recommend Jeff, his work ethic, and his commitment to excellence. McQueen Building Company. See our work for yourself at McQueenBuildingCompany.com. What is a warrior? At Portersville Christian School, it's more than a team name. A warrior is taught to serve, to passionately model the love of Christ toward neighbor, community, and world. To learn as they cultivate academic excellence and a lifelong love of learning from kindergarten to senior year. And to lead through Christian character and integrity. Are you a warrior? Discover Portersville Christian School just 15 minutes north of Cranberry, where warriors are made at OurPCS.org. Go to Mako.com for an online estimate today. Uh oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. hours each morning, I usually get up and uh, start my reading so that I can prepare for the show. And so that usually includes going through, you know, the major newspapers in America. I spend, you know, time in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, local papers here in Pittsburgh, um, try to look at some other uh, news sites that I've, you know, come to appreciate over the years. And uh, at this time in history, it is truly overwhelming to read the news. I mean, I, there is so much specificity as to what is going on in Ukraine and we've got video to support it. We've got, um, you know, on the field reporting, um, reporters right now who, you know, several of whom have given their lives reporting the story, um, several of whom have been injured. I mean, it, 
it's just, and I appreciate their work in bringing these stories to us, but when you look at them in the aggregate, it is really, um, I don't know, you keep saying, first of all, what can I do? Second of all, you think, are we all in the West going to sit here and let this happen? And the third thing you think is, how did we get here? How did this happen? Um, and so I've turned to a friend of mine, Joe Laconte, who's the director of the B. Kenneth Simon Center for American Studies and AWC Family Foundation fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Um, I've known Joe for a bunch of years and, you know, trust his opinion on things, especially as we look back and kind of see the formation things that have gotten us to the place where we are. So let me bring him onto the program. Joe, welcome in. Kathy, great to be with you. Can you hear me okay? I sure can, Joe. Thank you so much. All right. So um, I'm sure, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. Let me ask you, are you similarly overwhelmed when you read the news like I am? Well, it is easy to be overwhelmed, um, but it's also really important to remember that uh, we have seen more dangerous and difficult days than what we're seeing right now. Uh, There are all kinds of reasons to be anxious about the future. I understand that. Um, but we shouldn't be surprised that really um, desperately wicked regimes uh, are still on the prowl in the world. That mm-hmm. shouldn't surprise us. The questions we have to ask ourselves is the questions you've just put put to your audience here, Kathy, is, well, how did we get here? What can we learn from the past as we try to chart a, a course forward? Yeah. Now, Joe, one of my favorite books that you wrote that we're going to talk about as our um, as our conversation goes on is A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, which is about the um, 1914 to 1918 time period. And one of the things that you know I think of when I think of the time period before the Great War, World War One, and kind of the time period we've been in for the last five or so years is there is this persistent belief in the West that we've kind of evolved beyond this kind of warfare. That we yeah. are smarter, that we are sophisticated, that we live in a digital world, that we're reasonable. And so we're not going to have to deal with something like this again. Yeah, I think it's the failure to imagine. It's, it's difficult to imagine that regimes could behave so badly and the quote unquote democratic, liberal, uh, um, self-confident states of the West could, could stand by and watch it happen. It's hard for us to kind of get our minds around that. I, I understand that perfectly. And just a quick nod then uh, to, to Tolkien and Lewis. They, they lived through uh, a similar kind of period of absolute disillusionment on the one hand after the First World War and then shock and horror that it was happening mm. again 20 years later, a second world war. I mean, imagine that. We'll get to that later. But it, here's something to think about, uh, Kathy. Uh, the rise of authoritarian regimes, wars of aggression, the erosion of basic human rights, a bloody civil war, a refugee crisis in the heart of Europe. Welcome to the 17th century. Mm. That was precisely right. what was going on in 17th century Europe. And out of that period of turmoil came some very deep thinking about the nature of human nature and the nature of political societies. Two basic contrasting visions. I'll just name them and then we can unpack it. Thomas Hobbes and the Leviathan, the all-powerful state, versus that of John Locke, government by consent, human equality, human freedom, so embraced by the American founders. Those are the two basic political visions. Hobbes versus Locke goes back to the 17th century, and here we are now in the 21st century. Russia, let's face it, Russia is the Hobbesian nightmare Mm -hmm. for the European uh, continent right now, isn't it? China is the Hobbesian nightmare uh, for the Asian nations, right? 
Yeah. So let's go back then to, I mean, Hobbes was first. Um, so the, the conflict that you're talking about is the dissolution of the Roman Empire, the Thirty Years' War. I mean, all sorts of horror had happened yeah. in Europe in that time. Yeah. Um, everything yeah. from, you know, guerrilla warfare to famine to disease to you name it. And so yeah. this was a, a perfect time in world history for people to start thinking about what human nature is and what governance might mean. Exactly. Um, so talk to us about Thomas Hobbes first. Yeah, exactly. You know, Hobbes uh, lives through the English Civil War, which broke out in the 1640s. And that was basically a contest between the king who's trying to act without parliament. Uh, and the parliament, the parliamentarians say, wait a minute, we're part of this government, too. And we, we represent uh, uh, the people to some degree. So it was a it was a contest, the king trying to rule absolutely. Uh, with a divine uh, a claim to rule by divine right. So you get this bloody English civil war that goes on for a decade. Hobbes lives through that. And his conclusion is, you know, the only way to provide security and safety for people is to have an absolute monarch. You submit yourself to an absolute ruler, an absolute political authority, and you do not question his authority. He will make the decisions for you. You will, you will in, in essence, give up your right to self-government for the sake of security and safety. That's door number one. Okay. So before you go on to door number two, let me say (laughs) that he, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't read Hobbes in a long, long time, Joe, Um, but he didn't think that the freedom of the individual should be taken from him, but he didn't, he he thought that it was, it was in the best interest of the individual to give it up for the ruler. Yeah, I think that's right. He's talking about that was his version of a social contract. You voluntarily give up your rights, your freedoms to the, to the absolute sovereign for the sake of security. That's exactly right. Got that's it. Hobbes. Okay, so that's door number one. Talk to us about door number two. <laughs> well, door number two. The interesting thing is that John Locke, though he's much younger than Hobbes, he also endured the English Civil War. He was a young man. He was a teenager when Charles the First, the king who was working a lot of this mischief. Uh, when Charles I was actually executed. That's how it really got ugly. You know, they execute the king, regicide. That's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. And they abolished the uh, the church. The established Church of England was also abolished during this time. So think about that. These two stabilizing institutions in Europe, the king, uh, the, you know, the monarchy and the state church, they're done away with. And you have this period of instability, turmoil. Uh, Cromwell comes on to, to rule. Locke is, is growing up in that period as well. Initially, Locke is maybe thinking a little bit like Hobbes, but once you get past the English Civil War, once you now get the king is back, there's a restoration, 1660, and the next couple of uh, decades, Locke is now watching Europe. He's watching these different attempts to exert absolute rule, both in England and also in France with Louis XIV, who calls himself the Sun King, right, the absolute monarch sure. of France. And he's, he's looking at all this turmoil, and he's thinking, no. The way to provide, the way to uh, produce a stable and just society is not through an absolute ruler. It's through government by consent of the governed, when everyone will have a stake in the success of the government. That's Locke. That's door number two. Okay, so that's significantly different from Hobbes in that he's saying that that humans in their natural state are free. Where yes. I believe Hobbes is saying that in humans in their natural state are going to be at warfare, there's going to be anarchy, and the, right. the leader is going to give us solidity, yes. is going to give us stability. Yes. 
and ha and and Locke is saying no 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 the human you know uh, natural state is freedom and so the more free we can make him then the better off we are. That's a pretty good summary. Let's let's quote uh, Hobbes here for a moment, uh, where he says uh, yes uh, even though a, an unlimited power men may fancy many evil consequences you may think that's a bad plan. But he says the consequences of the want of it, which is the perpetual war of every man against his neighbor, the war of all against all. Life will be solitary, poor, nasty, brutish and short. That's that's Hobbes. That's where he thinks things are going without an absolute monarch. Now, Locke is not naive about human nature and and the dark tendencies of human nature, but he sees beyond it. And I think the way he sees beyond it, Kathy, he really has a strong belief in the idea that we're made in the image of God. There's a capacity here for reason, for virtue, for self-government. And that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, to have, to have choice, to have choice. So let me just read you a line from Locke and then throw it back to you. Mm-hmm. So Locke in his second treatise, which was so influential on the American founders, he says, men being all the workmanship of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker, all servants of one sovereign master sent into the world by his order and about his business. They're his property, whose workmanship they are made to last during his, not another's pleasure. Let me emphasize the word workmanship, the workmanship of one omnipotent, infinitely wise God. That is a biblical allusion, I believe, to Ephesians 2. Sure, Locke knew his Bible. And he is very strong on this imprint of God on human nature in a way that Hobbes is not. Right. So different master, basically. Different master. Good way to put it. Good summary. Okay. uh, Let me introduce my guest again, Joe LaConte, director of the B. Kenneth Simon Center for American Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Um, So, Joe, take us into the present then. We're talking about Russia and Ukraine. We're trying to ask the question, as I said, how did we get here? Yeah. Um, you're saying that the Hobbesian view and the Locke, Lockean, is that, is that the appropriate word? Yeah, Lockean. Yeah. Okay, the Lockean view are at play in this conflict we're seeing. Talk about it. That's exactly right. They're, they're, they're once again, and they never really have stopped being at war with each other. They're once again at war with each other. Think about it. What have the Ukrainians demonstrated to the world? They have demonstrated to the world that Locke's vision of human freedom remains deeply compelling. Mm-hmm. And you have all these men and women, too, and others filling Molotov cocktails, willing to die for their country. I got to tell you, every time I hear the Ukrainian president speak to us, I get a little ashamed as an American. I don't know about you, but uh, this is a guy who's willing to lay down his life for freedom. That's the Lockean vision of human freedom and human equality, government by consent. And what does Russia represent under Putin? It's a Hobbesian view and the way he's governed his own state. It tells us all we need to know about Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. This is Thomas Hobbes. This is the nightmare. This is really the Hobbesian nightmare that Europe, back to your earlier point, Europe thought it had really tamed this whole thing after the Second World War. You know, the European Union, European community, we're at peace, economic uh, interdependence. We'll never see another war on the European continent. Well, here we are. Here we are, because you cannot, you cannot check tyrants just through, through paper treaties. It's going to take more than that. So that the Hobbesian view that we see 
at play in Russia's perspective and China's perspective right now. What? How did Thomas Hobbes account for evil? Did he think that sin was something that was, first of all, real? And did he think it was something that was in every person? That's an excellent question. And as I've, as I've been reading again through Hobbes, he is a complicated and I think inconsistent thinker hmm. in that he sees the darkness of human nature, war of all, of all against all, but then he's willing to confer all of this power on a single person right. or legislative body. And that just doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Right. Because that, 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 that's the weak link in the system. That's exactly right. Why would you confer all that power on an individual and believe that that person would act with justice, consistently act with justice? This is where I don't understand Hobbes the only, and how he could argue this way. The only re- uh, rationale I can give is, he had, he had seen such devastation through the lack of a strong political authority, the breakdown of law and order, that I think it just, it scared the stuffing out of yeah, him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, this was his answer. This was his answer. Well, there was, there was decades of trauma that that continent had seen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can see that. I, and, and just looking at how, you know, I am fully, you know, vested, enmeshed in the Christian worldview and have been pretty much my whole life. And even I, when I see something like what has happened since Russia invaded Ukraine, I am shocked. And so looking at someone who's outside a Christian perspective, who looks at the world, who wants to think that everybody is, you know, at their heart, at their very essence, good. It is hard to grapple with these things that we're seeing in the news. Yeah, I think that's right. It is is really hard for us that individuals – could become so bent on such a violent, brutal course of action. And yet Vladimir Putin has been showing us that. He yeah, showed us no, that in right. Syria, yep. of course. He showed us with the invasion of Crimea. Right. And yet we just didn't really want to confront it, did we? No. Because it's just too troubling to really confront it. It would demand all kinds of difficult choices. You know, it reminds me of a line from Winston Churchill. And this is the, the, the 1938 Munich Agreement, when the European democracies... Great Britain and France, uh, they uh, compelled Czechoslovakia to give a portion of its own nation away, a portion, the Sudetenland, mm-hmm. give it to Adolf Hitler for the false promise of peace. Right. When Winston Churchill, who was not in power at the time, when he heard of the agreement, here's what he said on the, on the, on the floor of the, uh, of the House of Commons. They could have chosen shame or war with honor. They chose shame and they'll get war too. <sighs> That's, I think, where we are. I'm not saying we should be sending American troops on the ground, but I'm saying we could have done a lot more to Mm -hmm. arm the Ukrainians prior to this crisis moment, but we didn't have the stomach for it. Right, right. And now we get the bombing of a train depot, and now we're in serious straits. How are we going to get the the uh, How are we going to get the equipment there? I mean, it's just it's a it's a really difficult circumstance. Yes, our choices get more constrained. They do. They get more constrained. All right, we need to take a break. When we come back, more conversation with Joe Laconte. Joe, you mentioned Winston Churchill. Let's uh, swing our conversation a little further forward in history, talk about World War II a bit, and again, try to make sense about where we are today. Happy to have Joe Laconte on the Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. Hi, this is Joe Belanti with J&D Waterproofing. 
at 1-800-BERRY-DRY. In honor of our 81 years serving the Tri-State area, we are offering great savings for all our new and past customers. Call 1-800-BERRY-DRY. That's 1-800-BERRY-DRY to get your savings on basement waterproofing, bowing or cracking walls, and or footer stabilization projects. Or visit us at jdwaterproofing.com. JND Waterproofing, family owned and operated since 1939. If you can fix the big stuff, you can fix the small stuff. For over 100 years, QDOT has fixed big mechanical systems for the commercial industry, from hospitals and factories to churches and schools. You deserve to be treated fairly when it comes to your home's HVAC system. QDOT can solve any mechanical challenge, big or small. For affordable repairs, replacement, and maintenance, QDOT answers 24-7-365. And your safety is their top priority. Call 412-366-6200 at q-dot.com. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and luxurious at the store, but then you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at MyPillow found out that about 2006 towels changed forever. They started importing them and they added softeners and other things to the cotton that made them feel really good, but they didn't work. He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work. They're all made with USA cotton and they come with a MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. A six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, and two washcloths made with USA cotton regularly $109.99 now, just $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels. Enter promo code WORD or call 800-391-0954. But right now, MyPillow.com promo code is WORD. I had somebody ask me the other day if this is my real voice. Word FM presents a night out with comedian Chad Thornsbury. Like if I had the talent to do voices, this is the one I'm picking. 7 p.m. May 20th at Impact Christian Church Moon Township. A buddy of mine, he's a comic, he's from Australia, and talks like, wow, did you hear that accent? I bet that means he is great with women. And they hear me talk like, wow, did you hear that accent? I bet that means he can fix my tractor. General admission, just $30 each. Tickets on sale now. Which I can, but that's not the point. At wordfm.com slash night out. 101.5 WO. ORDFM Pittsburgh. On your smart speaker by saying, play the word Pittsburgh. And on your phone via the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. FY, it's about more than sports and working out. It's about making my community better. Living a healthier life. Spending time together as a family. It's where I go to learn and play after school. The Y strengthens communities. By helping kids reach their full potential. Encouraging healthy living. And inspiring social responsibility. Get involved. Find a Y near you. Visit YMCA.net. Tonight we'll see a moonlit sky. Expect a nighttime low of 39. Tomorrow will be warmer. We'll see a blend of sunshine and clouds. The ground will still be wet and muddy from recent snowmelt. Expect a high tomorrow of 68. Turning cloudy tomorrow night with a low of 47. Some sunshine Thursday, then turning cloudy and warm. Thursday will reach a high of 65. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. Russia versus Ukraine. How did we get here? That's the question we're asking. And to that end, I've invited Joe LaConte to the program. This is his second segment with us. Joe's the director of the B. Kenneth Simon Center for American Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Also the author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Hobbit 
a wardrobe, and a great war. How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the Cataclysm of 1914 to 1918, which is a very long title of a really great book. All right, Joe. Um, so keeping in mind that we're, we're trying to make sense of where we are currently in history, um, but the only way to do that, of course, is to learn the lessons of the past. Um, so we talked about uh, the English Civil War. We talked about uh, the Thirty Years' War, the end of the uh, fall of the Roman Empire and all the cataclysm and the thought trajectories that kind of burst out of that. Um, so let's fast forward then to World War One, which you wrote about so well um, in this book. And then, of course, you mentioned Churchill before we went to break. Um, so talk about that era, why it attracted you at first and why you decided to write a book about it. Yeah, I think what I learned from uh, teaching uh, uh, Western civilization and American foreign policy there at the King's College in New York, uh, that the impact of the First World War on the world was so remarkable and powerful and in many ways so destructive. Mm -hmm. Not just the war itself, the destruction of the war, it's what came in its wake. And all the destructive ideologies, fascism, communism, eugenics, scientism, they all take flight in the years after the First World War. And this relates to our, our topic today, Kathy. I mean, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine? Ukraine is forcibly brought into the Soviet Union uh, after the successful communist revolution. They're forcibly brought into the Soviet Union. And throughout that, that relationship, that, force, that forced relationship, Joseph Stalin, the head of, uh, of the Soviet Union in the 1930s, he orchestrates a famine that kills millions of Ukrainians. These are Ukrainian peasants who wouldn't bend to the, to the will of Stalin and give up their land uh, for the sake of this communist vision. So the Ukrainians justly despise the Russians for what they, have, what they did to them over decades. And the first chance that Ukrainians had to break away from the Soviet Union, they took it in 1991 when it's all collapsing. And then Mikhail Gorbachev has to resign in disgrace, and the Soviet Union is no more. It's on the ash heap of history, to borrow from Ronald Reagan. So the Ukrainians voted with their feet the first chance they could to be an independent nation. That's worth keeping in mind. But back to your question, that the, the aftermath of the First World War helps to explain so much the rise of these radical ideologies, the birth of Soviet communism, and the millions and millions of lives destroyed because of it. Here we are. So you can't forget um you can forgive. Um, and of course, that's what Jesus calls us to, every person who um, decides to follow him. But generations after generations, you know, I, I am who I am because of my parents. And my parents are who they were because of their parents. And so, you know, the kinds of things that I read about in my family stories about my great, great grandmother, I yeah. see in me. I really do. Um, and I never knew her, but there's something about her and it's more than blood that is in me. And so when you look at, at, at the Ukrainians today, as you said, um, they are who they are because of what they have seen and what their parents have seen and what their grandparents, um, right. have seen. Um, so we had two great writers, uh, Tolkien and Lewis, who both, uh, lived through World War One and, um, saw World War Two coming on the horizon. And so there's so much, that was such a fertile time, um, for, I, I don't know, coming to grips with the world and trying to come to grips with human yes. nature. So just speak yes. into that a bit, uh, and, and the kinds of stuff it produced in their minds. Yeah, that's a terrific question, Kathy. Thanks for asking. You know, one of the things that strikes me is I've poured over their works, especially during the Second World War. Because remember, 
Tolkien starts writing the Lord of the Rings around 1937, 38. That's the the Munich Pact. That's the crisis of the Munich Pact. So the sense that war is in the air now again, that's when he starts writing the Lord of the Rings in earnest, and it takes on a much darker tone than The Hobbit. And he acknowledges this in a letter to his publisher. And he says, the, the, the darkness of the current time has something to do with it, mm. he acknowledges. Mm. C.S. Lewis starts writing the Space Trilogy, uh, a book really about the fall, the spiritual fall of man. It, it comes out in 1938, <laughs> again, mm. the Munich moment. And so they begin writing their works, their great epic works, the Chronicles of Narnia. Lewis gets the idea for the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, part of the idea for it, of course, when the, the children are being evacuated from London because of the blitz on London sent out in the countryside of a professor, right? Right. So I think that the onset of the Second World War created a real sense of urgency among these men to get on with their callings. In the midst of the crisis, they don't just shrink away into a corner and throw their hands up. They just get on with their tasks, with their Christian callings. And that's a deeply encouraging story, Kathy. We're going to pause right there. We're going to come back right after the break. More with Joe LaConte. We'll talk about Tolkien and Lewis and what it can teach us about making sense of our current time. Next, The Ride Home. Word FM, W-O-R-D. When the bottom drops out of our lives, where can we find help for our pain? Pastor Greg Laurie says, take it to the Lord. Well, see, God wants us to come to Him, and He'll be with us all along the journey. Important encouragement coming this week on A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie. A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, weekday mornings at 1030 on WORD. There are some decisions in life that just flat out determine whether the day will be good or bad. And one of those Mount Everest decisions for me is which ice cream to choose. How is a mere human able to walk into a tasty ice cream shop and choose from seven perfect options? It's Ryan. And the reality is, deciding how to manage your mortgage is kind of similar. I had two radio listeners last month say, I've been wanting to know all the details of what a refinance or cash out refinance would look like for me, but I was embarrassed to ask and didn't want to feel pressured if I did. To which I say, we are a place that happily lets you taste test all the flavors. Guilt-free, no pressure, no judgment, and no follow-up unless you ask. It's very normal for us to provide what multiple refinance or cash-out options would exactly look like and then let you decide, or even just walk out completely after the taste test. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Mortgage Court, Melville, New York. I'm listener 1330, Department of Banking, Mortgage Lender License Number 22672. We're out of the brand name, but we do have the generic version. Of Serene's Pharmacy can't keep up with allergy season. Who's next in line? They need certified technicians to alleviate the headache. Ma'am, I'm so sorry for the wait. We'll have your prescription filled soon. <sighs> I need some help. Indeed can help them hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. This is Tim Seckler inviting you to tune in each and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by my law firm, the Seckler Law Firm. Each week, we'll talk about your family's well-being as it relates to elder law, nursing home stays, estate planning, and keeping your hard-earned savings. And if you missed the Life and Legacy Show, you will find it archived at secularlawfirm.com. See you Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Word FM 101.5 for the Life and Legacy Show. 
parents, we know we can't protect our kids from everything. Eventually, they're going to bump their heads or scrape their knees. But we can protect them from six types of cancer. HPV, or human papillomavirus, is a common preventable virus that can cause cancer later in life. The HPV vaccine prevents human papillomavirus and all the cancers it can cause. The American Cancer Society recommends getting your sons and daughters the HPV vaccine starting at age 9 to protect them later in life. Last segment with Dr. Joe Laconte, director of the B. Kenneth Simon Center for American Studies at the Heritage Foundation, also the author of several terrific books that I'll talk about later in, um, in this segment. Uh, and Joe, first off, really thrilled again, grateful to have you with me in this hour. It's been really interesting. Um, and let me say that you brought up something before the break that kind of made me laugh out loud. I remember the first time I read The Hobbit, and The Hobbit um, – and I know people who are listening who've read this book are, you know, are going to resonate with what I say that it's a, it's a charming, funny, clever story. It's an adventure, but it's charming. And then you move yes. on because you're, you're excited about the Hobbit because it was so great and yes. sweet. And then you open the Lord of the Rings and you think, what the heck happened? <laughs> what? Like it's, it's like with yes. Jekyll and Hyde, like who wrote this? Um, yes. And it's not that the Lord of the Rings isn't charming because there are many charming parts of it. And that's what makes uh, Tolkien so attractive is that there are such serious concepts that are so winsomely displayed at times. Um, yes. There's such a great humor to it. But um, you're saying Tolkien was seeing something coming on the horizon. He had already seen World War One. World War II was coming, and it put him in a different frame of mind. Yes, and he's, he's writing The Lord of the Rings right through the Second World War, through the war years. And I'll, I'll quote you a, lo- a couple of lines here, one from Tolkien, one from Lewis. I think the darkness of those years really did influence their imagination, their literary imagination. Here's a line from The Lord of the Rings. The wide world is all about you, Frodo. You can fence yourselves in, but you cannot forever fence it out. The sense that England cannot escape the fury of the Nazis as much as they'd wanted to. C.S. Lewis in The Horse and His Boy has a wonderful line, similar kind of line. He says, in that golden age, when the witch and the winter had gone, the smaller woodland people of Narnia were so safe and happy that they were getting a little careless. Hmm. I am convinced these men have in their minds the attempt by Great Britain to stay out of any kind of European war, to avoid it at all costs. And that is really working on their imaginations. And I think through their works, they're warning against that. Remember the, remember this, the, the scenes in The Lord of the Rings, the last march of the Ents, these tree-like creatures who don't want to get engaged. They want to be neutral. They want to be like Switzerland. Well, they can't. It's come upon them, the last march of the Ents. I'm convinced that is very deliberate on Tolkien's part. England has to get engaged in the conflict. They have to stand alone, literally, for a couple of years before the United States even gets in the war. And that is vivid in there. I mean, remember, they're right there. The the only thing that separates England from Nazi Germany is the English Channel and Winston Churchill. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Which isn't very much. And who can blame them? Who? I mean, you you That's look right. at the bucolic countryside of England right. that Tolkien and Lewis both love, especially Tolkien, absolutely loved. And yes. you think about the the Shire. And the hobbits living their sweet little existence in their perfect little places and their beautiful doorknobs and their fireworks when it was somebody's birthday and everything was so lovely. Who would, who would blame them for wanting to stay there? But the problem is that there comes a time. Yes. 
right? There comes a time. And that's what we're seeing in Ukraine, that there comes a time. And so you see somebody, Zelensky, kind of Hobbit-esque, you know, in that he, you know, looked very unprepared for the task, you know, stand-up comedian, one dancing with the stars. A lot of people (laughs) thought he was fluff. And all of a sudden, you fast forward to today, and he's, you know, one of the global heroes, one of the most inspiring people who's on the world stage i mean talk about that evolution yes he's shown he's shown his mettle hasn't he and i think back to uh, to your point here the ukrainians just i think they they from what i can see from the interviews and all they did not imagine that the russians would do this Hmm. remember what the ukrainians agreed to back in in 1991 92 when the soviet union collapsed they gave up all their nuclear weapons right I think they had the third largest amount of nuclear weapons in the world at the time, and they gave it up for, with a promise of security from the United States, uh, from, the, from, the, from Russia itself. Uh, Bill Clinton signed that treaty. So they, they just did not imagine that the Russians could behave in a way that seemed like such a throwback to the 19th century or the 18th century, the Napoleonic age. And, but here's, here's Zelensky. He... He has risen to the occasion in a, in a Churchill-like quality and disregard for his own personal safety that I think is shaming many of us in the West. Mm. It's, it's astonishing to watch. It is astonishing to watch. And let me throw another quote at you here. This is, um, this is quoted in the Washington Post. I read it yesterday or the day before. Um, a Ukrainian battalion commander said this, quote, If you want to understand Russia and Ukraine, we, Ukraine, are Gondor. Russia is Mordor, very close mm. and very dangerous. We need Gandalf and some hobbits. <laughs> Boy, send me that quote, would you? That is I terrific will. because I'm, I'm working on some essays and I'm going to use that quote. In the, that's fascinating that they see it in those terms. And I think that's part of the reason that the works of, of Lewis and Tolkien, particularly Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, continues to resonate. Why? Because it, it's the real world, quote unquote, real life, it's it's being played out. What what was seems to be an imaginary world in the Lord of the Rings is being played out in real life. The the idea of a almost irresistible evil uh, and the idea of innocence, mm-hmm. men and women who are trying to live their lives in peace and in uh, in, a, in in some kind of decency. And now they can't fence it out. We can't forever f- fence it out. So art imitates life. Life imitates yeah. art, doesn't it? Yeah. And art can teach us about life, right? Can teach us what we can't. Uh, one of the beautiful things about it is it helps us to see things that we can't, we're resisting looking at. Yes. Um, and it yes. helps. And I think it can help us to be brave also. Um, yes. I think that's where Tolkien and Lewis, they, they really believe. I think they use the, the genre of myth because they believe that life itself had kind of a mythic, heroic quality, yeah. or at least it could yeah. if we're alive to it. And myths do that. They, yeah. they, they, ex- they accent that, those qualities. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about your book, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, how J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. You wrote in there, as I remember, um, Joe, that the Hobbit was kind of modeled after the average British soldier that yes. Tolkien observed in World War I. Um, and that average British soldier is very, um, I, I'm sure has a lot of qualities in common with the average Ukrainian soldier today. 
That's exactly right, because the average British soldier, Britain didn't have in the First World War, at least not the first part of it, it didn't have a, a, a quote-unquote professional army. Uh, it, uh, it was a volunteer army, and so you had uh, shopkeepers, mm-hmm. fishermen, clerks, uh, farmers, now suddenly thrown into combat. And what Tolkien saw in a way he would not have seen otherwise, the incredible heroism of these little people, these ordinary little people. And he says it explicitly, his Sam Gamgee is modeled on the ordinary English soldier that I knew in the 1914 war and considered so far superior to myself. Mm. It was a real humility to Tolkien and all that. And yeah, this is exactly what we're seeing with the Ukrainians. There's a hobbit-like stubbornness. And Tolkien commented about this, about about the hobbits, they can surprise you at a pinch and how they can be as tough as oaks, soft as butter, it seems, but sometimes as tough as oaks when the when the challenge comes. Now, that's not always true of a culture, but it's true right now of the Ukrainians. And that's impressive. Joe, talk about this project that you started before um, COVID started and probably, you know, completely screwed up all your plans um, to <laughs> turn a document, turn the book that we're talking about yep. into a documentary film. Yeah, we are. We are in the throes of it now, actually, Kathy. We have episode one of a five episode documentary film series complete. Episode one is complete. Each one will be about an hour long. We'll tell the story of Tolkien and Lewis, their friendship, their experience of war. And of course, their creative works. I'll boil it down to three words, war, friendship, and imagination, because it's, it's the crucible of war, World War I and World War II, that makes possible their amazing friendship. And it's their amazing friendship that makes possible the creation of their, of their great, imaginative, epic works, war, friendship, and imagination. So we're going back to the UK, my film team and I, I hope this summer, we'll be there for a couple of weeks, we'll try to finish filming the rest of the series. Once we have that in our hands, then we go to Amazon or Netflix sometime later this year and say, okay, guys, we have episode one done. We have, we've shot the rest of the, of the series. Now let's make a deal <laughs> and, and give, us, uh, give us the funds to finish the rest. We, we maintain complete editorial control. That's why we're doing it this way. Well, you know, I've been completely geeked about this project since the day you told me about it. I mean, I am personally invested in it. I love the whole thing. Is the is it fully funded? Are you still taking donations from people? We're still taking donations. In fact, what we might do is and it's uh, hobbitwardrobe.com is our website, hobbitwardrobe.com. We should probably try to arrange perhaps, uh, Kathy, for you and John, maybe we can figure out a private screening event. Oh, uh, you know, that would be a, awesome. A, a, YouTube, a YouTube screening event for episode one. What would yeah. you think about that? I would love that. <laughs> I mean, I would completely love that. I would be, I would, listen, for those of you who are listening who think, I love this kind of thing. I, you know, I've, I've been seriously impacted by the works of Lewis and Tolkien. First of all, you have to check out the book that Joe wrote. Let me just give you the title again, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. And if you're interested in this type of project becoming a documentary film that you could watch on Prime, hobbitwardrobe.com. Donate as I have donated there, hobbitwardrobe.com. Dr. Joe LaConte, such a pleasure. Thanks for joining me again. It is always a delight being with you, Kathy. Anytime. My phone lines are open. Terrific. All right. That's Joe LaConte. Find out more information about him at Joe. Is it JoeLaConte.com, Joe? 
uh, 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 Joe at josephlacondi.com is my email address. Or, or, I'm sorry, the uh, website address is uh, joseph.lacondi.com. Uh, yeah. Great. Terrific. All right. And you can also find information about him or contact him at the Heritage Foundation. All right. right. Terrific. Great to see you. Great to hear you. All that kind of Thank thing, you. Joe. And thanks to all Great. of you still joining me on the Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. A couple more minutes left. Stay with us. Take you up until six o'clock. When it's time to replace your roof, siding, gutters, and downspouts, entry doors, and, of course, windows, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for all your exterior home projects. Why pay double with some other companies? Windows R Us will always give you the best price on the best in-class products, backed by the best warranties in the industry, all with zero sales pressure. And speaking of zero right now get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products lock in your quote today schedule a free estimate and inspection today at windows or us pittsburgh.com you've tried the rest now try the best windows or us pittsburgh.com before bamboo hr <laughs> feel like crying just thinking about it. We were still handling everything via paper and we literally had paper stack. It was all in spreadsheets and like folders. From the moment I started using it, I felt calmer. As soon as we started using the bamboo like onboarding checklist, I mean, <laughs> it was extremely easy. Headcount, turnover, uh, years of service. Like there's just so many different reports that I use at different points in time. I'm like totally set free to focus on the people, to focus on development, to focus on team dynamics. It's freeing me up to do more of the stuff that actually matters in HR, which is interacting with people, learning from them, and then building stuff for them. Everything is in this one place. I can't even imagine what it would be like without Bamboo HR. We're Bamboo HR, and we'd love to set you free to do great work. Come try our award-winning all-in-one HR software for free with no strings attached. Visit BambooHR.com slash HR for this free trial offer. That's BambooHR.com slash HR. For over 40 years, First Baptist Christian School of Butler has quietly offered parents one of the most affordable, high-quality Christian educations around. A complete education from pre-K through 12th grade with free busing, smaller classes, an extremely high teacher-student ratio, competitive athletics, and SAT scores well above the national average. Think an affordable Christian education is beyond your reach? Think again. First Baptist Christian School of Butler at butlerfbcs.com. Your life, your hopes, and whatever you are searching for at 1.15 a.m., it's really none of our business, and it shouldn't be anyone else's. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Listen on your smart speaker at wordfm.com, the Word FM app, iHeart, TuneIn, and on Odyssey. In your car or at home, too, at 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. If there's anything I love food-wise, it is a nut. Man, I am all about them. Um, I, there's not a day that goes by in my life when I don't eat nuts. And I'm happy to invite you into National Peanut Lovers Day. 
because it's a great day to celebrate. You can celebrate your cocktail peanut, your dry roasted peanut, your salt-free peanut, and I'm very sorry for you if that's what you choose, your blister peanut, your buffalo peanut. Was that delicious, Those Christy? so good. Aren't they so good? You can do whatever you want to do with peanut because it is, to me, just the perfect food. It has a lot of protein in it. It might not be as good for you as like an almond or a cashew or something, but there are still a lot of nutrients in there and it tastes so darn good. I have a question for you, Christy. Okay. I need your estimate. How many peanuts do you think it takes to make a jar of peanut butter? Oh, a jar of peanut. Like 500. That is so close. Oh, man. Call me John Hall. 540. So close. You're like John. Holy cow, that's impressive. I was going to say like, I was thinking, is it like 30 or is it like 3,000? You know, I, I like had no idea. Anyway, 540 peanuts. Do you have a particular favorite kind of peanut butter? I usually buy Jif. Okay. Smooth. Oh, no crunchy. No crunchy. Why? Not a fan of the crunch. You don't like it in your teeth? No. Okay, what about the peanut? I don't know. That's not a stirring endorsement. I mean, like, I don't know. You like the buffalo peanuts I gave you? I did. You. What about peanuts in the shell? Nah, not a fan. What about, like, what about peanut M&Ms? I eat those, but like, I don't know. The ones you give me are all good, okay, but what, I'm not buying them for myself. Really? You would? You never buy peanuts? I never buy peanuts. Oh, my gosh. I buy, okay, what about peanuts on your ice cream oh, sundae? Yeah, all day. Okay, fine. But so, I just don't So you're good them. if you mix them with chocolate. Oh, yeah. No, listen, I eat the ones you give me. Because they are. Because I only bring in top shelf ones. You do. I don't waste my time. That's right. Seriously. I bought nuts at an off-brand, like generic nuts last year. That was a huge mistake. You have to go top shelf or you shouldn't go at all. Okay? That's just how Good I to know. Anyway, enjoy peanut tonight, people. Have a great night, Pittsburgh. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.